Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Deirdre Maloney, and we're going to be talking about her new book, Unfold Me, Unfold Layers of Your Wounded Heart and Begin Living Your Dream Life. Do you have a dark secret that is holding you back from loving yourself? After multiple breakdowns while managing bipolar disorder, four kids, and trying to keep up the visage she had created, Deirdre finally felt the world crashing down on her. The skeletons in her closet were on the attack, and if she didn't deal with her past, it was going to deal with her. Sexual abuse, rape, and underage prostitution are only the beginning of Deirdre Maloney's story. She digs into her darkest secrets to release the relentless thoughts of not being good enough. Unfold Me is a lesson on self-acceptance in the deepest way. Deirdre believes we must face the darkest parts of ourselves to be wholehearted. Walking through the fire of difficult emotions is the only way to move forward. The unfolding of one woman who felt so much shame for the life she led um, as a young adult uh, will help you connect with a side of yourself that will bring you home. For more information, you can visit Deirdre's website, which is dmaloney.com, and that's D-E-E-M-A-L-O-N-E-Y.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Deirdre to the show. Good day, Deirdre. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story. I mean, this is this is a tale to be told for sure. Um, so, would you mind? Um, let's just tell. I mean, this is a, a memoir. So, would you mind sharing with us first of all what inspired you or motivated you to write the book? Well, it is quite a tale, and it was one that I thought that I would never tell. I thought these were secrets of my past that were going to go with me to the grave. Um, as you mentioned, that there was just so much shame that came along with my story as a young adult. And when I got to about midlife, you know, around 35, getting near 40, um, it was just kind of itching in the back of my mind, all of these secrets that I was hiding and thinking, you know, what would people think of me if they knew all of these terrible things I had experienced and done? And I felt um, so responsible and had so much guilt. And I had a breakdown, actually, like a complete nervous breakdown to the point I wasn't able to leave the house. And when I finally recovered from this breakdown, and I guess we'll get more into that, I thought to myself, there has to be other people out here that are feeling crippled emotionally by secrets of their past. I can't be the only one. And I thought, I need to write the story so that I can help other people see themselves maybe through my eyes that I was able to heal and hopefully that that would be able to help them um, get on their own healing journey and start to accept themselves because that 
is the key thing when you've gone through um, different types of abuse and trauma is uh, forgiving yourself, accepting yourself, and learning to love yourself again. Yeah, it is. Now, with memoirs, I'm I'm just um, always um, in awe of of people who put their memoirs out there with such um, a challenging background. So how was the process of writing about all of these traumas? How how was that process for you, you know, in, in the writing? Yeah. It actually started out as a therapy uh, program. So a therapist had said um, I was in a group therapy with about nine other women, and it was uh, led by two therapists. It was an excellent program, and I would recommend anybody that's struggling um, to get into a a group program. There's different types. Some are good, some aren't, so you, you might have to shop it around. And in this, uh, one of the lessons we had to do was to sit down, and we were all women, so it started out as write, there once was a little girl. And from there, just write whatever flows out of you. And so that's what I did. So originally my book, it doesn't start that way now, but it did start originally with there once was a little girl. And I just started pouring the words out of, um, you know, part of my story. And I got to about 3,000 words, and I realized, wow, I, I have a chapter here, and I feel like I could keep going. Maybe I could turn this into a book. And I had always thought as I was growing up, you know, when I was 18, 25, as the things I was experiencing were just out of this world, like, like from a movie, right? And I thought, this really is a story. Like, this is, could be a great book. And um, so I just decided, you know what, just go with the flow. You're in the flow. It felt very therapeutic to get the stories out of my head and onto paper. It was a really therapeutic process. Uh, And so, again, I would recommend to anyone, you know, if you've experienced trauma, you know, write it out. And it doesn't have to be something that's published. Maybe you keep it completely for yourself. But there is such a great therapy in in writing our story. It's a definite um, part of the healing process and was for me. Yeah. 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 Um, A lot of it seems that um, a lot of memoirs, you know, start from that. Uh, journaling aspect or, or writing out, you know, um, thoughts. And now yeah. um, with all of the things that you went through, did you have any concerns about the impact of your story on those around you, you know, immediate oh. family even, you know, yeah. tell us about that. Very much. Uh, so that's probably where most of the fear of publishing laid. Um, so there was kind of two fears. One was, what are people going to think of me? And will I lose friends? Will society not accept me anymore? And then the other side is like, what is my immediate family going to say? How are they going to feel? And how I worked through that is I told myself this book isn't about me. This is about other people that need to heal. And I I can't make it about me and I can't make it about, you know, people around me. This has to be a gift to people that need my story to move forward and to heal and to not feel alone because it's so isolating addiction, mental health. These are really super isolating um, issues And so I knew that I kind of had to maybe sacrifice 
myself or maybe someone else a little bit um, to get the story out there to help other people. And so some of my family members were upset with me. Um, you know, I have a brother that doesn't speak to me anymore about over it. Uh, my parents, they were upset, but they, you know, eventually at the end gave me their blessing and said, if this makes you happy or helps you heal, go for it. So that was nice. You know, it, it wasn't, Mm-hmm. exactly what I hoped for you know they didn't throw me a party or anything right. <laughs> but uh they yeah. they said uh, go for it so yeah. um you know it was it was I guess better than worst case scenario let's say that yeah you know I, I've uh, that was the one thing I think that prevents many people from bringing those making those secrets public is is that oh, God, fear yeah. and Right, yeah. and, and and you had to um, be willing, I guess, to um, forfeit some relationships or or, or have some relationships yeah. change um, in order yeah. to to be whole. Yes, and I feel like if we really want to be our true, authentic selves and be accepted for exactly who we are if those relationships aren't accepting us, if we share parts of ourselves, then they're not truly authentic. Right. And, and so that was a factor for me too. I thought like anybody who really loves me and stands by me is going to support this. And I tell you, there are certain relationships that this book has definitely strengthened and you do see who your real friends are, which is a beautiful process in itself. And I didn't have really anybody walk away from me uh, other than the one brother. Really, most people mm-hmm. really surrounded me and applauded it and, um, we're really, really happy and proud. So that was uh, a great, great feeling. Yeah. yeah but, you I know, have, I think I our biggest critic who... is ourselves. <laughs> I'm sorry? So you go ahead. You had a brother that... No, I was just, just going to say I, I have one that I'm, I'm just, you know, that I just don't talk to. I mean, you know, we haven't in, in years and years, and um, yeah. but that's okay because he's living his life and I'm living mine, and, and they're, they yeah. don't intersect. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I find that with family is there's a lot of pressure, social pressure, even, you know, to have this perfect family unit. And, you know, sometimes we grow up and we grow apart and, you know, that's okay. You can just, you know, send them love from a distance and accept everybody for how they are and hope that they're accepting you as you are. And that's, that's all there is to it. And sometimes we um, create our own new families, which is what I have done with friends and whatnot. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, I think, you know, the the definition of family is, you know, I think the whole concept of family was the idea is to set up a situation where we can exhibit unconditional love to each other. You know, family kind of has that as as an expectation. Um, A lot of times it doesn't work, (laughs) you know, like, okay, (laughs) this one didn't work, but uh, that's okay. Um, But I think, you know, but I think that then, you know, transcends into your your spiritual family or your extended family or, or the family you create, you know, when you find those connections where the unconditional love is there. Exactly. And it is there. And I, I think that's really important for people to understand that maybe suffering with mental health uh, issues right now or addiction, because like I said before, they're so isolating is there are people out there that want to support you, that want to love you. And I remember, you know, 
being younger, relationships with women were always very competitive for me. And I didn't realize that um, I could have friends that were almost like sisters, that you could have this strong bond and really trust each other. And now I've cultivated relationships like that. Um, so it is out there. And, you know, when you're in your deepest, darkest moments, you don't see it and you think the world's against you. Um, but there are beautiful people out there. And if you just reach out and connect and you stay hopeful, you can find those connections. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So now one of the toughest jobs of an author is to select their book title. So uh, can you tell us why you chose un- Unfold Me? Oh, I love that you asked me this question. Honestly, it was so easy for me. So I have this amazing girlfriend. Her name is Paulina. And she is just an outstanding athlete. She was a professional triathlete for years. And she coaches um, young swimmers, athletes in our community. And she was accepting an award uh, to be inducted into the local sports hall of fame. And I was there, you know, in the audience. And she had a beautiful speech. And in the speech... She says that her youth athletes are like delicate butterflies and they're just coming out of the cocoon and we have to help them unfold ever so delicately because these children are just precious and they're, you know, they need to be unfolded properly to fully bloom and take flight. And in that moment, you know, I felt so inspired but also so sad because I thought if someone had a thought of me as a child, as this beautiful little butterfly to unfold, how differently things may have been. And I said, you know what, I'm going to unfold myself delicately. And that's how I started my blog, which is called The Unfolding Project. And from there, the book title was easy, Unfold Me. Yeah, boy, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's great when, uh, <laughs> when the title can be kind of, you know, be right there for you. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's good, you know. And, and, you know, and I also, you know, like, you know, the idea that the subtitle would be unfolding, unfold layers of your wounded heart, you know, really indicating that um, it's a process and, and there are multiple layers to the healing process. Yes. And it is layers. And, you know, I feel like they're never ending. Sometimes I get to a point uh, where I feel like, okay, that's it. I've done all the healing. I'm done. I've figured it out. (laughs) And then you get hit with this. Someone says something or, you know, your mom calls and you're just like slammed again. And you're like, oh, man, I thought it was over this. But these layers, they're so deep. And they're from when we're so young, things we can't even remember, right? And, uh Yes, you're constantly unfolding these layers of yourself. It's such a beautiful process and painful and messy, and but uh, it's brilliant when when you have the courage to take it on because it is life changing, and we can we are capable of so much and and of giving so much to our communities if we're willing to dig in, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and it's it, it is wonderful. I mean, it, it's like the, the the butterfly telling the caterpillar, "Just hang on, <laughs> hang in there." That, that chrysalis might hurt a little bit, but but you're gonna enjoy flying, you know, later on. Um, exactly. I love that picture of the butterfly <laughs> transforming. Right? It's messy and kind of gross, but then it's this beauty <laughs> after. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now you you broke your book down into three parts, um, fear, shame, and wholehearted. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the grouping and and, uh, the book, how it progresses through those, those particular topics? 
Yeah, so the fear, uh, section one, the fear is, um, you know, most of my childhood, I think it goes up to maybe around the time I'm 16 or so. Um, and that so many, so much trauma happened then, and it just it was never ending. And so to kind of wrap it all up and sum it into one word, it's fear, right? I was living in fear constantly. And I still some days have those pangs of fear come through me for no reason because I live this beautiful, blessed life today. And, um, but it's in there. And you, you, so fear was just the word that really um, wrapped that up for me. And then shame is kind of the next section where, you know, I'm living my life and I'm sort of trying to start to do things right um, but there's so much shame for the life that I had lived before and, and secrecy. And I came from a family that swept everything under the rug and we hid everything and we, we didn't um, share within our little home, but then we also didn't mm-hmm. share with other people. And so I was taught secrecy. And with that came so much shame because if you you have to hide all these things about yourself, well, that must mean you're bad. Um, so shame is kind of the next section of the book and then the wholehearted is when I'm finally able to talk about and share about all of these experiences I've had, um, then you can finally start to feel wholehearted. You don't have to carry the shame with you anymore because it's debilitating and crippling, as most people would know, because I think we've all experienced fear and shame, right? Um, maybe not for the same reasons, but we've definitely all had those feelings. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. why I, I yeah. also tell people about. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. That's right. You tell people what? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, is that, um, you know, when, you're, when they hear my story, they think, oh, well, maybe, you know, you, you, you had it worse. You didn't, I didn't have it that bad. I say it's not about, it's really not about the experience. It's about the feelings underneath the experience. So where I felt fear and shame, if you've had a situation, that to you doesn't seem as dark as mine, but you felt those feelings, then you understand me. You understand my story because I, I don't suffer more than you just because my experience was worse in whoever's opinion, right? If we, right. we all feel those same underlying feelings and that's how we can all understand each other. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And you know what, what makes one fearful may not make another one so fearful. Um, but it is exactly. sub- subjective, subjective feeling. So I want to take a, a couple of minutes and, and talk about uh, uh, a couple of the topics that were covered in the, the fear um, section. And, and one of them is um, addicted. So can you tell us um, how addiction was one of those secrets that you wanted to discuss? Because it's a big issue right now. I mean, there's this... It's a real big problem. So yeah, um, can you share a little bit about and that? And we are a highly addicted society. So, you know, when you hear addiction, you usually think of drugs or alcohol, but we are talking about food. We're talking about social media. We're talking about shopping, gambling. Give me a person and tell me they're not addicted, and I will tell you you're a liar because we all <laughs> have underlying addictions, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're shameful. So whether you're sneaking into the cupboard to eat Oreos or, you know, you're gambling behind your spouse's back or whatever it is, we all have shame around addiction. 
And we all use addiction. It's, it's a coping mechanism, right? And for me, I turned to drugs. I, I found them at a very early age, uh, 14. I was already using LSD, mushrooms. Um, I had smoked heroin. I, I think I tried crack by the time I was 15. So it's really young getting involved with these drugs. Wow. And the reason I, I got involved with them is because of the trauma. I'd experienced some sexual abuse, you know, then rape, and then um, and then the sexual encounters just continued on at such a young age. And so for me, it was coping. I, I couldn't deal with what I was doing. I knew it was wrong, but it made me feel good. So I didn't want to stop. And so the drugs was the, you know, was the medication to, to help me yeah. cope. And the drugs, they made me feel good. And I had a problem for many years, right up until the age of 18, I took a few years off. I was able to get sober and then I got back into them, uh, into heavy cocaine use again for another few years in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, it's a dark hole to be in. It's really difficult to come out, um, but it is possible. And, yeah, anyone out there that is experiencing addiction, you know, there is help for you and there is hope for you. Because I thought there was a time, you know, I was on welfare. I was a single mom. I never thought that I would get out of it. I just thought this is, this is my life. Um, but then, you know, there was, there was hope and I, I found that little piece of hope and I held on to it and I was able to climb out of it. And now I literally live my dream life. I'm 40. I'm retired. I homeschool my kids. My husband and I travel the world. Um, so it is like a rags to riches story that is possible for anybody, you know, if you believe in yourself and you can learn to love yourself. I wanted to share the addiction yeah. because so many people have addiction, right? And and it was difficult for me because I'm an athlete now. I, I have a, a youth development program, a cycling team, Canada's largest all-female competitive cycling team. I'm the founder. I'm the team sponsor. Uh, you know, and some of these people look to go to national events, look to go to the Olympics. And I thought, how these people are not going to understand my story if they find out about this you know, drug abuse as a young girl, they're, they're not going to want anything to do with me. And I, that was really fearful too. When I released the book, I thought, Oh God, people are going to leave the team. I, people aren't going to want anything to do with the team. I'm going to lose sponsors. But honestly, it was the opposite. They were so loving and supportive and it, it was just, it was a blessing. So, so don't be afraid to share your story and reach out for help because people want to help you. They want to support you. Yeah. And, and if, you find yourself being judged by others, just recognize that not the people to kind of have in your circle. Um, yeah, it's the wrong people. You know, You're so right. Yeah, yeah, very much. And we have, um, we have to be careful but, who we open up to, right? If you start mm-hmm. to get that feeling of judgment from someone, you just shut it down. You say, okay, this is not my person. And, you, you know, you look for someone else, Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it is real important to find the right people, and and yeah. um, and they're around. You know, you just kind of have to be and 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 um, you know, kind of confront that fear for sure. Um, now, another um, of the couple of the topics in in that fear um, section um, was uh, prison. Um, talking about prison sentence and and. Uh, a criminal university. So tell us about, about your um, criminal experience. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, tell us yeah. How, how that all fit in. 
All right. So how I incriminate myself in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my oldest daughter, uh, so I had a daughter when I was 19 years old. And that's how I got off the drugs the first time is I found out I was pregnant. I quit cold turkey. Um, you know, she really was a savior at that time, a beautiful baby. Um, but her father was very troubled. And we, you know, we used a lot of drugs together. When I got clean, he didn't. And he ended up uh, getting the prison sentence. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, and he was incarcerated. I think he got a seven-year sentence and was incarcerated for almost up to four years. And we were together. Um, and he convinced me to start bringing in. It started out with um, some tattoo equipment, sneaking in tattoo equipment to prison for him. And from there, it escalated oh. to marijuana and then some steroids and, uh, you know, some uh, ecstasy, I think. And we had a little setup, actually, where one of the guards was allowing me to bring this stuff into him. Um, I almost mm-hmm. got caught, and I was terrified, and that is in the story, and that stopped that uh, very quickly. Uh, but, yeah, that was a, a few years that he was in prison, and I was visiting him regularly, and it was... Uh, really interesting part of my life for sure. I mean, he got out of prison and he, he sold drugs for years afterwards and we lived off of the avails of drugs, you know, and when I was in my early twenties and that's how I ended up getting hooked back on drugs is he came out of prison. I was sober. And of course he wants someone to party with and, you know, slowly chipped away at me like, come on, it's okay. You can do it. Like you're fine now. You're not going to be addicted. But of course, you know, you do that first line and that was it. I was back in full time uh, so thankfully, one of the blessings that has happened to me in my life is he left me. And I was devastated mm. at the time, devastated. But now I look back and I see that this was just, you know, the girl that he left me for. I call her my guardian angel because I think she saved me uh, from a terrible life that I would have had with him if I had have stayed. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness for those. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes. Um, so I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask Deirdre any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to post them there. Um, so um, the, the part two of the book, Shame, um, and we talked about how Everybody has something, you know, there. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about um, how you view shame now, having shifted, you know, perception of the experience? Yeah, well, I realize now, I think the understanding that I have of it now is that we all experience it. So when you're feeling shame... You feel like you're the only one. Again, this is something that's so isolating, right? And, and when you're having a shameful experience, you think something's wrong with you. And so realizing that we all experience shame and we all have these thoughts, right, that I, well, I'm the only one that's ever done anything this stupid or I'm the only one, you know, that's ever been addicted to drugs at 19 and totally screwed up her life. Um, and so now I realize that when I'm feeling shame, because I still have moments where I do feel shame about things, mm-hmm. right? Like 
sometimes even after you do an interview like this, you could be, oh, God, how could I have shared all those things about me? What's wrong with me? And you ha- can have like a shame moment. Come on, right? But oh, now, no. instead of like falling down this dark hole with it, I tell myself, no, other people have done these things. Other people have felt this way. You're not alone. We're never alone. Nothing's new, right? They say like, no, there's no new word written or there's a saying like that. It, it's so true. And there's no new feeling and there's no, you know, we've all experienced different things, but so many of us, they intersect. And so nothing's new. So when those shame feelings come on, I know it's not isolated. I know it's not just me. So I want that for other people too, is if you feel that shame and that secrecy inside, just know you are not alone. Like you're so not alone. You've got so many people that are experiencing the same thoughts, the same feelings, have had experiences just as terrible and embarrassing and all of that. So yeah, that's how I look at it differently. Is it's not such an isolating thing anymore. I realize that it's universal. We're all feeling it. Yeah, yeah. In, in regards to helping someone after today's show, um, uh, about eleven years ago, I had um, a show that I scheduled. This was when I was first starting out, and um, a publicist had sent me a pitch about um, a book, and the woman wrote. The title was something to the fact of, you know, I married a sociopath and, you know, he set me on my spiritual journey. And, that's like, and in my, you know, at that time I was, you know, kind of more into the spirituality aspects of, you know, shows and that kind of thing. But anyway, I had, I kind of fought with myself back and forth. Do I really want to do this? Why would I want to do this? <laughs> this has got to be, this has got to be nuts. You know, there can't be anybody out there. You know, I mean, this has to be a unique thing. But anyway, I finally, yeah. just, you know, decided to do it. And, and, um, and it was probably, it was the first show that I got extensive feedback from people oh, who had listened to it. Yeah, and I was like, you know, it was at that point, it was like I didn't care how many people listened to the show. It was who listened and, and who benefited, you know. And yes. If there was one person that benefited, then it was worth the effort. Exactly, and that's what I tell myself, too, with the book, right? If one person reads it and it in some way impacts their life or changes their life or makes them feel any type of comfort, then it was worth writing and it was worth sacrificing any relationship or, you know, so, yeah, I'm with you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Okay, so let's go ahead and take uh, the first uh, deep break, Deirdre, and then um, we'll be right back. And then, then when we come back, I want to um, dive into the mental health aspect. Again, that's another um, issue that is very um, in the, in, in much in the forefront of, of today's world. So I kind of want to hear about your experience with that, okay? Okay, great. Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be, we'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, 
and tune in. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My guest is Deirdre Maloney, and we're talking about her journey as well as her new book, Unfold Me, um, Unfold Layers of Your Wounded Heart and Begin Living Your Dream Life. And again, you can find out more by visiting Dee's website, which is dmaloney.com, and that's D-E-E-M-A-L-O-N-E-Y.com. Okay, we're back, Deirdre. Hello. Hello. Okay. So <laughs> um, mental health. Um, you know, um, I mentioned in the, in the introduction that I you know um, having breakdowns and managing bipolar disorder. So can you, and mental health is just such an important issue. Um, again, now even coming out of uh, the COVID pandemic period that we've been experiencing, that really, I think, magnified the challenges of mental health. So would you mind sharing with the listeners um, just a little bit about um, you know, your experience with mental health being, you know, maybe one of those secrets and, and kind of how you cope with it now. Yeah, sure. So mental health is huge. Everybody's struggling in some way or another, right, at different times in their lives. I think most people have felt some form of depression or anxiety. And uh, for me, I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was about 23, 24 years old. And I went on medication, and it helped me immediately. I started feeling much better. Um, you know, my symptoms for bipolar disorder were, you know, crying just all of the time. I would be crying on my way to work, on my way home from work. I would be spending, you know, insane amounts of money and not being responsible with it, obviously using drugs. So I think a big part of the drug use in my 20s was trying to manage uh, my mental mm. health. And... Um, there was a lot of shame around it. I mean, when I was first diagnosed, um, there was relief because I thought, okay, at least now I know uh, what's wrong and I can do something about it. And so, you know, the medic medication really helped me. But then there was the shame piece that came with it. Cause bipolar, you tell someone you have bipolar disorder, especially back then, right? It's now it's a little more, um, people right. know more about it. Uh, but 15, you know, 20 years ago, it was not. Like you said, bipolar disorder, people thought you were crazy, right? Uh, so, yeah, lots of shame came along with that for sure. And, you know, I held on to that for a long time. I would say it's only within the last five years that I felt comfortable uh, talking about the bipolar disorder. And maybe it's only because I've gotten control over it, where I, I don't mm -hmm. feel like it controls me anymore. I feel like I control it. Uh, so maybe that's why I have more confidence and I don't feel so shameful about it. 
Um, but yeah, it's something I definitely like to share. Um, you know, I've also had postpartum depression twice. I had depression through my last pregnancy because I have four kids. Uh, and those are really challenging things too. You don't want to admit that to people that you're depressed after pregnancy or p- depressed during pregnancy. You're supposed to be so happy during your pregnancy, but I, I was miserable and I was, um, that was actually part of my final breakdown that pushed me to, to get the help and to really heal myself and get in on that journey. Um, so yeah, I like, like sharing about it again so people feel less alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, we have such a long way to go with um, removing stigma um, regarding mental health, you know. Um, I mean, people, when it comes to physical health, I mean, hey, everybody, you know, on board, let's go to the gym. Everybody kind of has an idea when it comes to physical health and, you know, and uh, whether or not uh, we're making choices, you know, for a, a healthy lifestyle. But, but when it comes to mental health, it was, it was kind of a, a, a different story. I mean, it was, I mean, there were just, I think it was, you know, like you had mentioned the education, you know, right now people know more about bipolar, what bipolar disorder is. And so maybe it's, you know, easier to talk, um, to maybe get an understanding with other people about what it is and what you're going through. But, but I still think that there is um, a huge, you know, uh, a stigma, you know, that mental health is something you should be able to control by yourself. I mean, it, you know, that should be something that, you know, you shouldn't need help with or, you know, hide it. Yeah. Yeah. And we do need help. We do need support. Um, you know, so if you are struggling, definitely reach out for support. I mean, one of the things that I think had benefited me the most is meditation. When I started a regular meditation practice is when my mental health really turned a corner. And my therapist, my current therapist, is the one who really pushed me into it. And she asked me to just do three weeks, five minutes a day, just commit to that, and then tell me how you feel at the end of it. So I did. And honestly, at the end of it, it's not magical i didn't wasn't like oh wow this is amazing uh but there was a difference of that i i just wasn't as stressed or there wasn't as much pressure or tension and so i thought no i think there's something to this and i continued with it and over the years i've noticed a huge difference in it and so much so that now my whole family meditates we meditate with our kids regularly my husband meditates regularly i'm always telling everybody to get meditating because it uh, relaxes your brain, right? It allows you to reduce the stress. And it's a great tool, scientifically proven, to improve your mental well-being. So, and it's free. If you have Internet access, you can get all your meditation for free. I know, I know. And, you know, that's the thing. Is, you know, the, the medicine is within, you know. So yeah. being able to yeah. put it. But now... Did you, um, how do do you, when it comes to meditation, you know, some people have, um, you know, beliefs you have to be kind of sitting there cross-legged, palms up, and, you know, doing the um, chanting or om, or, or what, what is your favorite meditation practice? Honestly, I think my first form of meditation was yoga. So yoga, because I was very active, I was very physical, right? Always, even when I was addicted to drugs, I was working out in the gym every day. I've always been very physical. And so I did the yoga. And so I found the yoga practice because I was being physical, but you also have to be mindful at the same time where you're thinking about 
how your body feels and what position it's in. And then at the end, you know, laying down and just having to do the savasana, right, is, is like a little meditation. So that was my first experience really with meditation if I look back. And I think that's a great place for people to start that have trouble being still is try to work some yoga into your routine weekly, you know, one or two times. And again, you can do this for free online, right, with, with YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, see if you can start there because that's a great uh, place to start. And, you know, I usually like to set up a quiet space when I'm going to meditate, you know, if I'm going to set aside 15, 20 minutes and I'll just lay in bed and put my YouTube on, I pick my favorite uh, thing. And I like listening to the guided meditation because we do get distracted. And to think, a lot of people think you're not supposed to think at all with meditation, but that's, you can't stop your brain from thinking. It's always thinking. The point is to not get lost in the thoughts or to get stressed and worried. You're supposed, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about how much that sucked. Okay, we're going to put that away for now. And then I'm just going to focus on my breathing again, right? And it might come back up 10 more times through the meditation. You're going to say, okay, no, I'm going to put that aside right now, and I'm going to continue breathing. (laughs) So, you know, it's difficult, but it's not. It's it's something you just, it's practice, right? And you just, you practice it, and you get better, and uh, and it's very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very much, you know. And I, I too, like guided meditation, Um, particularly in times when my I got that monkey chatter going on in my brain, you know, like I mean it's if I'm concentrating on the what the spoken word what the spoken word is, then it um my my brain is forced to kind of focus on that and everything else, you know, is pushed aside in, in uh support yeah. of that. So yeah, it can be real helpful. Actually, there was one meditation, a guided meditation I listened to once, and um, his little thing that he would say is whenever a thought comes up, say, welcome to the party. I'm going to put you over here with the other thoughts. And then again, like a couple minutes later, he'd say, if you're having any thoughts, just welcome them to the party and put them over with the other thoughts. And I just thought that was so funny because it is like this crazy party in your head, right? <laughs> oh, <thought>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's a downright huge crowd <laughs> that, that is going on. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, yeah, so anyway, I just, yeah, that's that's a good idea. And, and I like the idea of, of yoga for, for those who where movement, you know, where they're used to movement or movement feels good for them, that it's a, it's a good way to, um, like you said, mindfulness of, of what you're doing when, when you're doing it. That's a, a really good way to, um, to approach um, or to start. So, yeah. Um, now, another area that um, I, I kind of want to get into um, is relationships. Um, boy. Um, now, from from reading your book, you you matured as a, a young girl, woman, very early. So you had some, you know, um, some uh, when, as you were maturing, you, you know, you, that kind of brought out, you know, the the all of the <laughs> I don't know the the attention, the inappropriate. Oh yeah, you know, for yeah. a young girl, yeah. for a young girl. Yeah. So um, that had to have had an impact on the relationship. So can you share with us um, how, like maybe even at that young age, how that uh, maybe set the stage for your relationships later in life? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So I had precocious puberty, which meant when I was six, I had the bone structure of a 12-year-old. So I was very mature looking. Um, you know, I had my period at the age of nine, which is quite young. And so I developed uh, very quickly. And so I got the attention of men at a very young age. And if you don't have a strong relationship with your parents, this is a very bad thing because you're looking for love and you're looking for attention. And if you're getting it from someone, it's going to feel good. And it's interesting because my daughter, my youngest daughter right now is 10. So she's sort of the age I was when things started getting really messy with me. And Mm -hmm. she recently was um, squatting down, picking up some groceries, and it was heavy. So she was just kind of squatting there, waiting, waiting to kind of get the strength to pick it up. And she felt someone standing behind her. And she thought it was me because I was at the car and I was kind of bringing stuff over. And finally she stands up, and then the person starts to move, and she saw that it was a man, that he had been just standing behind her, like I guess watching her there squatted. And she told me that it made her feel really uncomfortable and she felt like he was staring at him. She could feel that kind of presence. And I was, I was, obviously I was really upset by it, but I was also just like, Oh, thank God you told me because now we can talk about it. What inappropriate attention is. And when I had those instances happen to me because I didn't have the strong close relationship with my parents, I never went to them with it. I thought the attention was great because I was like, oh, here, someone thinks I'm cute or someone likes me. And it really gives you a terrible sense of, of what a relationship is and what, um, you know, what is appropriate and what's not. And I got myself into some trouble. Like, you know, by the time, you know, 10, 11, 12, I had grown men hitting on me and trying to have relations with me and, and succeeding at times. Um, And that was really damaging to me. I I just didn't have healthy relationships with men or women for a long time. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and and the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I, right, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of parents um, who will be, um, will have children who have, you know, are going through similar kinds of situations, whether it be a precocious puberty or something yeah. similar, or or even like your daughter's, you know, the example of your daughter yep. was, was that kind of thing. And um, I just uh, wanted parents to recognize that it's, you know, really important to um, to pay attention and also be available um, to yes. to guide those children. Because there are predators out there. And, I mean, if you read my book, you're going to hear all about it. And, you know, some people, I just they say to me, I can't believe this is real. And I'm like, honestly, I can't either. When I look back and I see the succession of men um, that took advantage of me, it, it's really shocking. Uh, but there's, they're, they're out there. There's so many of them. And we really have to have that open communication with our children and have that safe space for them and ask them, you know, on a regular basis, did you talk to anyone today? Did you meet anyone new today? Oh, what did they say to you? Who are you talking to online? Have you ever had anyone ask you any weird questions? You know, and, and just constantly be questioning them about their lives. Be interested. And something yeah. else I heard, too, is when your kids come to you with the boring stuff and you're just like, oh, God, I do not want to hear about this again, you know, their games or whatever, just listen, <laughs> listen, because right. if, if, if you listen to that, they're going to come to you with more later. 
So it's important to not shoo them away. Or I'm too busy. No, just, just listen. Even if you pretend listening to the stuff that's really not that important, <laughs> just listen. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Well, well, it is. Yeah. Cause you're, you're establishing accessibility, you know, and, yeah. um, and to them, those things, you know, game or, you know, their interactions with their, their friends, those are important, you know, and, and, yeah. and, you know, they may have the same kind of importance as other things, even though, you know, other um, dangerous kinds of um, interactions can are really more important. But, I mean, it's, it's just the idea of being accessible and, um, you know, and being able to, to listen. And, and to do it without judgment, I would think, would be important. Yes, yes. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, our kids will do stupid things and you think, well, didn't you know better? So sometimes I'll ask them, did you not understand that that was wrong? And they'll look at me with these innocent eyes and they'll say, no, I didn't. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, here, let me explain it to you. So I think a lot of times as adults, we assume that they know these things that we know, but they really don't, right? And so a lot of times we have, if they, you know, do something stupid, we have to ask them, did you not understand? And if they didn't, then we can't get angry at them or, you know, you know, discipline them for something they didn't really understand. It's an opportunity to communicate and to help them learn. Yeah, because they don't have the knowledge base that we do, you know, as, as adults. And, and, um, and I, I think, you know, we all too often assume, you know, that, that kids ought to know better. I mean, that you've, you've, mm-hmm. you know, told them the rights and wrongs, you know, for years and mm-hmm. years and, you know, that they have internalized <laughs> them. But then as they grow older, you know, there's a slight twist or here or there on, you know, um, interactions with, with others. And then it's really, that's just real important to be able to, um, to have that open line of communication. Yes. Yes, it really is. And it's hard with all the pressure and stress we have in our lives, but it's, uh, we have to make it a priority to have that good communication with them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So now, um, the Highgate Racing, you're the founder of Highgate Racing, and you're, you're talked about the youth group, so can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I'm involved in sports, like I said, and actually, um, it's sport is what helped me and my husband keep our marriage together, I think, there for a while when I was suffering from the postpartum depression. Uh, we got involved in triathlon, and that eventually turned into cycling. We started competing and cycling, and someone asked me to, you know, run a women's team, and I thought, okay, I guess I could do that, so I did, and then that turned into starting my own team, and really, it was just for fun, but it kind of grew into something that's, uh, you know, quite large and quite beautiful, and uh, I have seven youth athletes, so that's under the age of 23, on my team, and then, you know, about 15 uh, masters or other athletes on my team as well, so all women. And I wanted an all-female team because uh, most cycling teams are co-ed. There's not a lot of women in competitive cycling. Um, So there's a lot of co-ed teams. And I always found that the women didn't get uh, proper representation. It was always kind of about what the guys were doing and the girls were just kind of the side dish. Um, Also, in terms of sponsorship, it seemed like more of the guys would get the sponsorship. The girls didn't really um, get that much. So I wanted to create a space where women, um, you know, felt seen. And that was really important to me. And also a place for these um, youth athletes to come and, you know, have a chance for some sponsorship opportunities, um, whether it's financial or with a product, cycling product. 
Um, and also, you know, I've done a little bit of work with them, get them to read certain books or do a meditation challenge with them, um, get them to write blogs, kind of work on their communication. So things like that were really important to me too, to kind of open their eyes to, you know, different perspectives. Um, so it's been a really great, um, experience for me. This is year five for us as a team. Uh, we haven't had racing in Ontario for, this is the second year because of COVID. So that, um, has been disappointing, but the team has stayed together and, uh, weathered through it. And now we're doing some team training camps and things like that. Um, we have a couple athletes that have started to race. We have one girl actually heading over to Belgium to do some racing, um, I have a few athletes that will be racing at nationals, so that's exciting coming up. Um, yeah, and we sponsor the team, so Highgate Racing, our family business. Me and my husband, our business is Highgate Properties, and that's a real estate and property management company in Toronto, Canada. Um, yeah, so we're the title sponsor of the team, and actually some of the profits, 10% of the profits of the book, do go into the U23 athlete program to help support the youth. This team is volunteer-based for me. I don't uh, make any income running it. It's just, uh, you know, to give back to the community for it. sports because yeah. it's changed my life so much. Yeah, it's wonderful to be able to have that kind of mentorship, you know, um, you know, for young women, you know, and particularly, you know, and guiding them not just through the sport but also other areas, and, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm just very appreciative of that. So it's a really important thing for people to get involved with. Um, So who do you think, who this this book, your book, um, is written for? Who who do you feel would, I mean, obviously we talked about some of the the challenges with uh, the the addicted, uh, the shameful, the mental health. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. I would think that probably everybody, but but in particular. (laughs) I think so, too. In particular. (laughs) Um, But in particular, you know, it's struggling. I think it's probably more women would uh, gravitate towards the story because I'm female and, I think anyone that's experienced any type of trauma, especially sexual trauma, sexual abuse, rape, um, human trafficking, um, even just childhood abuse, feeling neglected, I think anybody who's had those experiences will really benefit from the book. Absolutely. And I mean, any parents that, you know, have young women, young girls, and they want to see, you know, you know what's out there. And these are an opportunity to open conversation. I've had a few of my friends, and actually surprising to me at first, um, that had their daughters read the book, you know, at daughters, you know, at the age of around 12 or so. And mm. I was like, oh, wow, really? Because that's some pretty deep, dark content. And they're like, no, you know what? They need to know this is out there. Like, you experienced it at that wow. age. I want them to know that this is out there. And I was like, yeah, wow. Because actually I do have conversations. My daughter doesn't know, you know, the situations that I've been in, but I have conversations with her around it, right, so that she is uh, safe and can protect herself. So, you know, I think it could be good for parents to kind of open their eyes to say, like, you know, this stuff happens. It's not just in the movies and on, on TV shows. Like, this is real. These things are happening. Yeah, yeah, very much. And, and particularly if um, parent has a child experiencing any of those challenges right now, you know, yeah. to, it would yeah. be a really wonderful way to um, create a, 
a method of discussion, uh, um, a way yeah. to discuss it, you know, in a non-threatening way. Absolutely. Even if the parent just reads the book and then picks topics yeah. like, you know, oh, I read an article about this, you know, have you ever experienced anything like that, right? And it just would be a great way to open up conversation. And I mean, human trafficking the sex trade, it is just growing and growing and growing. And it's in the communities. They're getting girls in the average age is 12 years old of these girls that they're introducing to the sex trade. It's just heartbreaking. And these are girls in middle-class neighborhoods. This is not necessarily, you know, like a poor people problem. This is all classes. They are going after girls that feel neglected, um, that maybe have already experienced some trauma, nobody's safe from this. These people are out there. They, they know what they're doing. They know how to get them in. And the young girls, they just, they want to be loved, you know, if they've had some type of experience like I have. And so, you know, it's a real problem. So, yeah. 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 That's a good good point. Yeah. The, the, the youth sex trade is just, it's just mind boggling to me. I mean, but it's just, um, but the, but the young girls need to be empowered, you know, and educated. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. boy, we're done. We're done toward the end of the show. But there is one thing that I have to ask about. When I went to your website um, and I looked under shopping, you have a new book on folding in the kitchen. Now, yeah. Tell me. <laughs> my... Tell me what that is about. <laughs> So that's my plant-based cookbook. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're really into sports. And so we eat a mainly plant-based diet. And, you know, I've just perfected these recipes over the years. And so they're very healthy. Um, So if you're looking to make any changes in your life um, from a nutritional health standpoint, I've got tons of recipes in there that are fun for the whole family. Um, You know, you can ditch the dairy and cream up some cashews and make beautiful sauces and cheeses and... And uh, yeah. everything, and yeah, it's a great little cookbook. So yeah, I'm um, happy to talk about that for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm always looking for good recipes, good healthy recipes. So, yeah. Um, well, well, this has really been a delight, Deirdre. I really want to thank you for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. Me too. This was excellent. You're very welcome. And now, if people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do that? Through your yeah, website? so you showed my website. Yeah, dmaloney.com, D E E M A L O N E Y.com. And uh, on Instagram at Deirdre Maloney underscore. But you can find all that from the website easily. Great. Well, I'll be sure to join you on um, Instagram and the other platforms that you're on because I want to continue to follow your your journey. It's, it's a really wonderful thing that you're doing, and I appreciate you spending the time with us. Great. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Deirdre Maloney, and we've been talking about her new book, Unfold Me, Unfold Layers of Your Wounded Heart and Begin Living Your Dream Life. And again, as she mentioned, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.dmaloney.com, and that's D-E-E-M-A-L-O-N-E-Y.com. And on that website, you can find out uh, about her blog, about Highgate Cycling, media, um, other kinds of videos, and, um, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. So definitely visit that, dmaloney.com. 
So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.